My guest today is Ali Namdari, who is the founder of Labo Mono, which is a company that make waterproof jackets from recycled plastic bottles. And they've got very bold and colourful designs. And they're very well considered. They've got pockets just about everywhere you can imagine. You can fit it over a bike helmet. So, Ali, do you want to tell me about what made you start with Labo Mono? Sure. Well, it was it wasn't supposed to be a company really uh it was kind of a side project i was uh cycling home in 2019 18 sorry in summer and uh it was raining and i had uh, one of those uh, thin windbreakers on me and i was uh, completely uh, drenched by the time i i made it home so i was uh quite frustrated and i tried to look for something uh, well actually waterproof and that i could keep when i'm uh, cycling around at the time I was a freelancer so you know when I would meet my clients or even just uh, meeting with my friends and uh, well everything that anything that I could find online was either really proper uh, technical jackets which is you know uh, things that are waterproof breathable lots of features but they all really looked really dull like gray black or flashy yellow for just cyclists for example or uh, it was looking good, but it wasn't really thought out for when I was more active or cycling, for example. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, it started as a frustration. I was just like, well, it's, that doesn't really exist. And uh, I started just sketching some ideas on paper. And uh, that's how I'd say the, the idea of Labo Mono was born. You got a background in sort of fashion or in design or something like that uh nothing into clothing or fashion really um i've got a background in uh, design user experience design web design these kind of things and uh that's like i always thought i always knew i wanted to have you know my own thing or my own agency or my own product really but because of my background i i thought uh, well it has to be uh, an app or a website you know so really when this idea came up at first i, I really didn't think much of it i just uh, thought it was just uh, you know a hobby and before that i was uh, i studied um, computer science so really unrelated but yeah i came up i, I just learned on the way so going from computer science it must be very difficult to find all the resources and actually go about making something like these coats so how did you go from not designing anything straight into making something from plastic bottles and something that's quite advanced in terms of design how did you find your way there yeah yeah so computer science was way back when I graduated in uh, Paris and as I was uh, working for a startup I realized that I you know when you work in a startup you kind of do lots of things or everything because uh, well they don't have much budget and you're here to learn as well. So I really realized that uh, I really love coding, but my thing was really trying to build something for people to see them use it. And so quickly I went into um, interface design, web design, seeing how people actually, you know, uh, use something. So it's beyond coding. I mean, it's the step it comes with it, but I had more fun doing that. So I did my first um, internship uh, in London, and actually it was the first time I f went to London. Uh, I worked in a 
design agency called Native Design. It's in Shoreditch. And it was the first time that I was seeing um, actual designers, industrial designers building things, um, you know, physical things. And I was more into digital things. Um, so that kind of like taught me that like working with other people, other designers, not just from my screen computer. And then from there, I went to work in other agencies, still doing digital design only websites. And that went on for a few years until uh, I was working freelance and uh, working with, yeah, that, that, until that moment in uh, 2018 when it was raining. And yeah, basically learning for, um, for, for clothing design, I learned everything on YouTube, how to make a tech pack, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, YouTube really. Wow, it's amazing that that's actually possible now. You can just sit there and teach yourself com pretty complex stuff just from YouTube. It's amazing. I mean, I, I think if it, if this had happened, like, let's say, 15 years ago, I would have never been able to do anything because I found all this stuff for free. Um, people talk, talking about uh, how they started their company, but also, you know, you just go on YouTube and you type how to make a jacket or how to make a T-shirt and you... I had no idea how it was done. And so you get to see all the different parts, like um, the different, different um, say, tasks that you might have to do. So before, like sourcing the materials, how do you source the materials? You go to a trade show. What kind of trade show there is? There's Première Vision in uh, Paris. So I went there. It was for free. I was amazed by all the, you know, you would find a whole floor, like a gymnastic floor, filled with just uh, people selling or presenting zippers or buttons. Uh, <laughs> another floor the same with just uh, fabric. That's actually how I saw that there is some people, some companies that do recycled uh, performance fabric or even waterproof fabric out of uh, plastic bottles. So then you went on, you go on and, you know, ask business cards, you look online. I mean, the first really prototype was really me wanting to do a jacket for myself, just for myself. I wanted to design one and then send it to, like send all the requirements to um, um, to a factory and ask them to do just one sample just for myself. But the more I was looking into it and, into it and understanding how making a ja jacket is done, the more I was like, wow, it's like I can really push it further and try to make it better and try to make it for other people too. I think looking at your designs as well, it's obviously, you've obviously got a taste for the bold and the bright sort of colours. Oh, yeah. Which designers influence the, the colours you've got there? Yeah, so what I really, the first collection when I started that, so last year, it was all designed, um, they were all done by myself and uh, lots of inspiration from uh, the 90s with the Memphis groups. So if you think about the, 80s, uh, the, the 90s, actually, you know, all those prints, all uh, the um, colorful shapes, and uh, it's hard to describe, but if you just type Memphis group on Google, you'll, you'll like straightly see. The Ettore Sotsas, like those, those weird pieces of furniture with all the crazy patterns and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And if you type pattern Memphis group, uh, you'll see like that was printed on... I don't know, um, plastic cups and this kind of thing. So uh, a lot of this come from there. A lot of it also from when I moved to London, it was the first time I was in London, but also I had no idea about East London. 
which is completely different from what I thought London was, which is Big Ben and, you know, the uh, Tower Bridge and all that stuff. So I had no idea of this part. I, I actually came here just because some of my friends were doing their internships, so I came here. And I was amazed by all the, 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 the street art that you could find just on the way walking from work to home. I, at the time, I was living around Brick Lane. And so a lot of it also has uh, is coming from uh, street artists. Uh, and lately, for example, for the balancing blocks, that's actually one of my first collaboration with another artist called Adriana Yaroslavsky. And um, same, that uh, we just uh, matched on Instagram and talked, and I really loved her work, and she's doing lots of murals and um, sculptures as well. And I really loved what she was doing. And I was like, hey, would you ever want to do like a print with me for one of my jackets? And she agreed. I was super surprised and very happy as well. And uh, that's how this one came up, uh, came out. Uh, after that, I did another collaboration with another print designer as well. And I think going forward, uh, uh, that's what I'm doing. I'll do maybe some prints and then lots of collaborations with other people too who share this passion with bold prints and want to see it uh, on clothing because I think that's really missing, especially for menswear. And this is actually a unisex brand. You got your funding from Kickstarter, which means yep. you're probably aware of all the other projects going on on there and all the new designs that are coming out. And I personally mm -hmm. think Kickstarter is great because the only reason things will ever get to market is because people think they're good. Yeah. There's no sort of companies putting out millions of a product and then it just completely flopping. I think it seems like a much better way to mm -hmm. get a product to the market. So are you aware of anything at the moment that you think is a really great idea or something that you're thinking that is uh, an exciting product for the future? Actually, now more and more bigger companies are are getting aware of this and they have a lot of budget. I try to look after, uh, like look into the comments to see how the project is going. And a lot of them are cannot deliver or deliver com something completely different. Um, so kick I really love Kickstarter for, well, it allowed me to fund my, 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 my startup really. But I also know that, you know, if you can't deliver, you, no one, nothing is really going to happen to you legally. So it's tricky. You just have to find out about who's really actually building something. Oh, what? So there are people abusing the system and you get their money and they never actually make the product. Yeah, exactly. Or there is a, they just switch completely the project. For example, I've seen a, it was a toothbrush idea on Kickstarter. Yeah. That was saying that you can, it's a device that you put in your, it looks like a toothbrush kind of, but an oval shape. And you put it in your mouth and what cleans your tooth for 30 seconds, everything, you know, up, down, everywhere uh, with ultrasonic waves or something. Anyway, they, they raised like a million dollars, I think. And then they decided to just do a completely different project for some reason. And, you know, well, they can legally just keep that money and do that. Yeah, yeah. The, the, nothing, like I've seen that coming so, like a lot and a lot. They say like, oh, we're a startup, we're pivoting. And and people are not like, uh, they yell and everything, but sometimes they even change the brand. Uh, sometimes you get your product and it's not working. Is the risk that you're taking when you're investing on Kickstarter. But it's worth it. 
I'm not saying I'm not. I absolutely love Kickstarter. It's just uh, tricky because even for myself, like imagine I was so stressed out that I have the money of people, and now imagine something goes wrong with the production, or I actually had some theft during the um, when I was shipping everything to to my to my house, and I was like, oh my god, how am I gonna do? And I, I produced a little bit more. Uh, luckily it wasn't for that reason but same like imagine you just can't deliver you're like oh, I'm sorry you either repay people or uh, well, it can just be like hey, it's part of the risks so what about the community aspect of Kickstarter did you get people commenting on your product and sort of giving you tips and saying oh it wouldn't be great if you could add this to it how did that work oh yeah oh yeah, yeah absolutely so before doing the Kickstarter presentation the video that's one of the hardest part and I and um, the most important part I'd say is that you have to build an audience just enough people who are following you or at least have their email address and they know you they know you about your project because the moment you're gonna share click on publish on Kickstarter the first people who's gonna um, be aware of that project are the people on your audience and if you can't bring enough people on your page Kickstarter is never gonna feature you and your project is going to be a failure. Even if you have the best project in the world, the best product, best price and everything, if you can't bring that first audience to back you up, uh, it, the product is going to be a failure. Kickstarter is not going to feature you. It's going to be lost unless you search for it in the search bar. No one's going to see it. So, and I learned that by actually listening to podcasts like yours and uh, how I build this and other great uh, resources out there. So I knew that before actually public publishing everything anything really and to make sure i have a good product and not just designing something for myself well i was sharing all the process of prototyping uh choosing the right uh, materials the features everything on instagram so i started um, sharing all my journey uh sending also um uh, emails over t uh, with type forms so it's just like a a form where I ask people, okay, on a scale of zero to 10, how lucky would you be to use this? Or what about the pricing? What about these colors? So I made people vote for uh, the, the, the prints, also the designs, lots of things. So they, I had at least these people with me and giving me feedback about, you know, how things should be done or if like, okay, I, I, I'm going to put a pocket here. Actually, for example, I was doing a, putting a pocket around my belly, like on the prototype, I was putting it there. Um, and no, sorry, it was around the chest. And uh, some girls were like, hey, we, we have breasts. Uh, I think if we're active or cycling, uh, that might be problematic. <laughs> so I was like, hey, that's a good point. So, you know, things like this that you can't really... Stuff you wouldn't well, think of, you know? <laughs> exactly. And uh, you need that kind of feedback and actually feedback of people who would be end users. When I think about design, I always think about the idea of a design classic, like how something like the Eames chair or like a Zippo lighter or something mm -hmm. like that always just ends up part of the design canon. Mm -hmm. And I think something recently that might be added to it, I can kind of imagine the Chili's bottle becoming something that we look back on as a design classic because I think it's mm. very well considered, it's functional, it's very popular and I can kind of imagine that staying as like the main example of when everyone started using reusable bottles. 
so I was, I was wondering if you had anything that you consider a design classic or something that you think will become a design classic in the future. Same. If you if you had to ask me a question of uh, like Eames chair definitely comes into mind when I think about industrial design. But then I also love uh, technology and uh, I see also sometimes uh, really great apps uh, as you know very simple and uh, useful. For example, I I really love using City Mapper. Uh, which is a different kind of... So I see design more into... Because maybe that's my background as well, more tech before. So if I had to maybe add one classic, I'd say, uh, yeah, City Mapper. And uh, recently I got uh, one of those smartwatches from Withings. So it looks like a regular analog watch. So nothing, any crazy screens or anything. But then it's also an activity tracker and everything. So I think good design is design that is invisible, like technology is invisible, but it's really useful as well. Uh, and it improves your life without being too, you know, in your face and uh, quite discreet. But it does its job. So Ali, what would you like to offer up as your Who's Flying the Plane hidden gem? I've recently discovered the work of uh, paint, uh, painter jackets. Sorry, um, it's a couple um, who decided to make the best um, work jacket possible. So it's um, you know those blue French uh, workers jackets they used to have um, uh, in factories, or it's a, it's basically a very heavy fabric and they decided to deconstruct it and take um, to try and build it the most responsible way possible um, the most locally possible but also get their community involved into how they do everything Uh, it's like it's made by uh, a couple I think uh, one was working into the clothing industry and uh, the other one was working at Nike so they it's they also start it also started as a passion project and uh, just everything they do really their communication uh, the way they sell their thing so it's it's made to order but now it's becoming so popular I think we're gonna hear about it uh, a bit even even more now uh, yeah they started recently and that uh, it's a great thing um, a couple of years ago just when they only just released their first batch I did actually interview the guys at Painter Jackets no way yeah. Oh my god! I, I learned about them. I think a couple of years, uh, a couple of weeks ago, or, or last week or something. Oh, that's crazy! They're already at their uh, f- uh, fifth batch, I think. Yeah, they're doing really well. So uh, yeah, I hope to hopefully get get some more attention from listening to this as well. So nice. So the good gems come from uh, this podcast. That's good for me. <laughs> <laughs> Ali, how can we buy one of your jackets? And what are your social media links and all that kind of thing? Sure. So you can go on uh, labomono.com and you'll see all the collection that is currently available. You can check all the reviews of people. Uh, They're great. Uh, I mean, you just read them through. People share pictures on Instagram as well. So I try to really share the the most that I can do. So social media, yeah, at labomono uh, on Instagram. Um, And if you send an email or a DM or anything, uh, I'll be replying because there's there's just me in the company so far. (laughs) All right, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me. No worries. Thank you very much for having me.